2: Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. We are about a month into the minor league seasons, and we're going to give out early MVP awards. We realize it's very early, but we'll do it for single-A, double-A, and triple-A as well. We're also going to talk a little bit about some changes to the top 100 prospects list, something new that Pipeline is doing this season. But before we get to all of that, we're excited to be joined on the podcast this week by Casey Mize, Auburn junior right-hander, currently number one on Pipeline's top 100 draft prospects list. Nine and two, a 2.25 ERA. Casey's been dominant for Auburn so far this spring. And I guess first of all, my question for you, Casey, is you weren't on the original top 100 as number one when the top 50 came out in December you've really been on the rise as far as the draft goes uh this spring how have you handled all of that attention and the excitement that's kind of built around your season
1: uh like you said it is, it is exciting and it's been pretty cool to um I don't know even be on that list and be a part of it so um I don't know I, didn't, I wasn't really thinking much into it and I'm just trying to go out there and compete try to win games for my team and Um, I don't know. Obviously trying to play well as an individual, but for me it's just more about, you know, just trying to go out there and put my team in a good position to win. But, um, you know, individual stuff, I mean, it's good to see that I'm climbing up. And, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm trying to do as best as I can out there. But, um, you know, like I was saying, we're just trying to win games.
2: Casey,
0: how hard is it to kind of put the draft on the back burner a little bit. I mean, do you... I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard the chatter. I mean, the draft is still a month away, but I think the consensus is if the draft were today, you would be the obvious choice for the Tigers at 1-1. But at the same time, I mean, the SEC race is incredibly tight, where it seems everybody's bunched around 500 pretty much. Is it hard to put that stuff out of your mind? Or are you aware of all the chatter that's going around that, that, that as of now you'd be the obvious number one overall pick?
1: Um it's hard in some ways but it's also like like you said the draft is not today and I know I know how much stuff can change in a couple of weeks and um, so I'm just really focused on what we're doing here um, daily and like you said the SEC is so tough and we're just trying to um, put together a few wins at the last couple of weeks of it to put ourselves in a good position for the postseason but um, yeah I mean I mean sometimes it's tough um, but you know I, I really enjoy just um, competing with my team, like I said, so um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm kind of putting it on the back burner and not really paying a lot of attention to it. Just trying to enjoy my teammates and um, enjoying playing the game.
3: Casey, I'm wondering how much you know the fact that you were not, uh, you know, a big draft guy coming out of high school has helped you sort of keep that on the back burner. And I guess the follow-up to that would be, you know, what what's happened in your estimation and evaluation of yourself over the last three years. Uh, for you to go from a guy who is maybe you know a, a little raw and untested at of high school to the point where you didn't get drafted at all uh, to being considered you know one of the if not the top guy in this year's draft class,
1: uh, uh, there's a number of things, and, and it starts with the people around me. Uh, I think the, the coaching staff here at Auburn is definitely number one. Coach uh, Thompson um, has been, you know, one of the biggest influences in my baseball career. So. Just being able to be around him every day and uh, learn from him has been awesome. Um, also, just coming to college and uh, growing up a little bit and getting in a strength and conditioning program, and I put some weight on, uh, changed some mechanical stuff, added some new pitches. Uh, there, there's been a ton of things. Uh, there's a lot of support from the people around me, like I said, my parents, you know, some um, travel ball coach. Uh, there's, there's been a ton of stuff. Uh, training in the offseason up in Nashville with some people. Uh, the experience of Cape Cod League, Team USA, um, there's, there's been a ton of things that have kind of really gone into the, the development of me. Um, like you said, I, I, I was really raw in high school, um, skinny kid, uh, didn't really know much about fishing. So just coming here and being around people who are really knowledgeable has been probably the biggest thing for me.
2: Casey, on Friday night you dominated against Vanderbilt, the 15 strikeouts, and it was a career-high tie-to-school record. But reading the quotes from you after the game, it seemed like you were as annoyed that, I guess, your buddy Phillip Clark took you deep in the game as you were excited about the way you pitched. Does that kind of speak to your competitiveness, that that um, your friend getting to you with a, with a home run was uh, kind of driving you nuts?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know Phillips is a really good dude. I throw ends to him in the off season, so uh, it, it was just good to get to compete against each other. But yeah, he definitely got me, um, which was frustrating. I would like to come come out on top of that, but um, I don't know. I, I left some pitches up in the zone, and you know he did what I expected him to do with them. So. Uh, I mean, he, he's obviously a really good player, but yeah, I kind of wish I would have came out on top of those.
0: Casey, when I talk to scouts about you, I mean, obviously you have a, a lot going on that scouts like. If you're in consideration for the number one overall pick, three plus pitches. But I think that the two things that scouts rave about the most well, when they talk about you are one, that your your splitter might be about as unhittable a pitch as there is in the draft, and two, you know, just your your control and command. And you, you you let NCAA Division one with a 12-to-1 strike-out-to-walk ratio last year, and I think it's, it's up to 17 this year. And I was just wondering, one, you know, how long have you thrown the splitter? When did you pick that up? And two, you know, I mean, you're not just throwing strikes, but quality strikes. I mean, has, has control been something you've always prided yourself on despite having, you know, quality stuff that in and of itself would be very impressive?
1: Um, I, th- I think I've always been a strike thrower. Um, obviously not at this rate before, but... Um... I don't know. Control has never been an issue for me, so I never really thought about it much until I got here, and I just wanted to kind of enhance that even more and kind of uh, get better in that area. But um, I don't know. I just, you know, Coach Thompson said this quote to me and it stuck with me. He said somebody wins every pitch. And I don't know, that kind of just stuck with me, and I take that to the mound every time I pitch now. And So I'm trying to win every pitch, and by winning pitches, a lot of strikes are going to come from that. So um, I think that's kind of where that mentality stems from. Uh, the split change, I've, I, I guess I threw it in high school, I think. I, actually, people have asked me where, um, where I learned the pitch, and I didn't remember, but my dad said you know, me and him were just throwing it in the driveway one day, and I was just messing with grips. And so we think that's where it originated from, just, just me messing around, throwing it in the driveway with it. But so I threw that in high school a little bit. Um, didn't throw it a ton just because I threw a lot of fastballs in high school. Um, and when I got to school, um, I threw it here my freshman year, um, and then coach had me change the grip on it. He just wanted me to uh, kind of offset the grip a little bit, and um, I think that was probably in the middle of my freshman year or the end of my freshman year. Ever since, I've been throwing it the same way.
3: Uh, Casey, you know, t- Tim mentioned just your your competitiveness. Uh, I wanted to sort of dovetail that a little bit by asking you just about uh, some of the leadership you've shown at Auburn. I was reading that uh, uh, that not long ago, I guess earlier this month, and you guys were having a little bit of a skid. You called the players only meeting. It sounds like. Uh, you're one of the people that sort of leads the charge on that. How how seriously do you take that role, uh, you know, at Auburn in terms of trying to make sure that uh, that everybody on your team is uh, is on the same page at all times?
1: Yeah, um, I, I I think I've always been a leader for most of my life, um, so that kind of comes natural a little bit. Um, I wasn't one of my freshman year because I realized I mean, there's older people who needed to do that. So now that I'm finally in this in this position where I can be one um, you know I'm just trying to be a good example Um, I'm trying to um, share my experiences I think I've been I think I've played in this conference longer than anybody else on the team so I just kind of I don't know I thought it was a good time for us to meet Uh, you know we weren't playing our best ball Uh, I think we just had lost our third series in a row I think so Uh, I don't know things just weren't going well Um, we just needed to get together so yeah but uh, I take pride in being a leader. I mean, we we have a good we have a good group of leaders. It's not just me. We, we have what we call a legacy group, which is a, composed of six uh, six guys on the team who um, have some leadership qualities and you know have a lot of experience. So um, yeah, we all we all came together and kind of decided that was the right timing to call a meeting and just kind of um, get the team in the same room and find some common ground and just talk and just uh, try to figure some things out. So um, but yeah, I mean I I think. Um, I would always like to be a leader. I'm not going to force that on anybody, but um, I don't know. I feel like I have some of those qualities.
0: Casey as someone who who loves to compete as much as you do. You know, how frustrating was it last year when you you got shut down briefly? I think with a tired arm during the spring, and then with a little forearm tightness during the summer with Team USA. How tough was that to take? And was there any concern on your part? You know, I mean, you know, you're a pitcher. I mean, obviously you know, pitchers do get hurt a lot. Is it Was it tough to, I guess, put that out of your mind coming into this year, or did you do anything differently to try to maybe stay healthier this year? Because, you know, obviously you have and you've thrived even more than
1: usual. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely difficult when you can't, you know, go out and compete weekly. Um, and so when I was out for, you know, the forearm strain or whatever they're calling it, um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough. Um, but... I don't know. Coach Thompson does a really good job of taking care of us, so I think that was more precautionary, if anything. So um, I don't know, but we just—I don't know—we we were in. A, I think we were number four team in the country, so I tried to come back pretty quick. Um, I don't know. It was a, basically it's on a weekly basis of how I felt. Um, I, I think I needed more rest, but obviously we were in, in into the like going into the postseason. Uh, there wasn't really time for rest, so. I just tried to, I don't know, I tried to go out if I felt like I had it that week. Um, it, it was tough. It, it was tough not being able to go out there weekly and kind of stay in my routine. I had to, you know, fight for fight for each outing and, and try to get re- get prepared for that week. But, um, I don't know, I took the fall off of growing. So, I think that that rest was much needed. I got a ton of, you know, strengthening rehab stuff done. I uh, spent a lot of time in the weight room, did a sewing program, and, uh, I've never felt better this
3: year. Casey wanted to ask you uh, last one, just you know uh, I guess it was the start before last uh, you started against Bray Singer and uh, University of Florida. I have to imagine that uh, as much as you put draft stuff on the back burner and maybe be able to shut things out, that start had to have at the very least a, a postseason kind of feel. Can you describe just what Uh, What the buzz was uh, around the stadium for for that matchup, and and you know, even though you ended up on on the short end of it, how much fun competing in a game like
1: that was for you? Yeah, it was definitely a huge game. Uh, I think everybody knew it going into it. My teammates, you know, Brady and his teammates. um, Anytime you get to compete against a team of that caliber is a lot of fun. You know, number one team in the country. Um, Yeah, we came up on the. The wrong side of that game, but um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you could definitely tell there was a different, different feel to it. Like you said, it kind of felt like a postseason game. So I think that was good for both teams to get that, to get that feel. kind um, of uh, make it more comfortable for when the postseason comes. So uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, Brady's obviously very good. So that was that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, last year we had a really good game. This year was a really good game as well. So um, anytime you get to compete against a team of that, you know, of that caliber is a lot of fun.
2: Casey, thanks for taking some time to speak to us about your season, obviously, and the upcoming draft, and good luck the rest of the way here this spring with Auburn.
1: Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
2: Good stuff right there from the guy who is currently number one on the MLB Pipeline Top 100 Drafts Prospect list. And Jim, I'll start with you, and then Jonathan, you can jump in. Anything stick out to you from that interview? Um, I thought he was engaging. I thought he was really good uh, speaking his mind and and, um, was honest about everything.
0: Yeah, no, uh, he he was. I mean, uh, I'll let you in on a little sneak preview Tim. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb. We we won't update to a 200 for two or three weeks, but pretty good chance Casey Mize is still number 1 <laughs> on that list uh Shocking. when we update it again. I I'll, I'll I'll go out on a limb and throw it out there, but it's just hey, the the interesting thing to me about this draft as it's unfolded so far and we still have about 4 weeks to go is that I do think you know Casey. You know, and things can change. It's not you know 100% official yet, but you know Casey is a slam dunk number one pick overall pick as we've as we've had in a little while. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, you know, the last guy who I think was that clear cut a number one. I mean, who would you think Johnson? I'm just trying to think off my head. I mean, last year we we didn't know until right before the pick. It wasn't in 16th. I mean. You know, it's been a while. You know, I mean, Brady Aiken was kind of universally liked, but like, I, I don't you know it, was, it might be since Bryce Harper in 2010, might be the last slam dunk guy. You know, maybe Brady Aiken. but I think it was probably Bryce Harper. And then behind him, I don't think there's much consensus at all as to who should go two or three or four or five. It's wide open. So, I'll, but you know, it, it's kind of, good. I think, going to be a little bit of a wild ride over the next four weeks to see how, how that top of the first round really shakes out.
3: Yeah, and I, you know, I'm always amazed at these guys and their ability to kind of, uh, you know, even if they're saying in the interviews, you know, that they're not paying attention to the draft, but <clears throat> there's no way he, he's not aware. And it, uh, I thought it was good that he admitted that, no, I know it's there. And, I mean, especially in that start against Brady Singer, it's, uh, you know, there were, what, 100 scouts at that game or whatever it was. So uh, to, I think, you know, to recognize it is, is a good thing. And then to be able to go out and still perform, is a, is a whole other thing, and he's been doing that all spring. I mean, there's a reason why he's the clear-cut number one. You know, he is week after week after week been the guy who has consistently been there, uh, both performance in terms of the numbers and performance in, in terms of the stuff. Um, so, you know, it, uh, it it it's gonna be fun to see because I think he's the kind of guy that once he enters pro ball, assuming health. And Jim mentioned you know, some of the sort of minor things that uh, uh, always raises some concern, especially when you're considering taking a guy at the top of the draft. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to take him that long to be big league ready, uh, assuming he stays healthy.
2: All right, we're going to move back to the pro game. But before we do that, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Baseball season is in full swing, which means it's time to track your fantasy roster. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row. And one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. The app will help you get expert advice and analysis that you need to make moves like a big league GM and crush your league. The app allows you to trade and manage your team right from your phone. Sign up now by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. All right, I mentioned we're about a month into the minor league schedule, so uh, a chance to kind of look around the minor leagues at all levels and see who's off to tremendous starts. Um, obviously, some players have already been promoted, but we're going to go Triple A, Double A, and Single A. And I want to hear an MVP from you guys, and and I'll throw some in as well when uh, when warranted. I guess we'll start with Triple A because there's a little more to pick from. I want to say because A gets kind of obvious, so we'll start at the Triple A level. Jim, I'll let you go first. Who's your first month of the season most v- valuable player?
0: I would say Tyler O'Neill with the Cardinals. You know, a, you know, a big surprise that he's hitting for power because that's what Tyler O'Neill does. But you know, since they traded, since they got him from Marco Gonzalez last summer in kind of a curious trade, I think he's homered. I want to say twenty times in fifty-seven AAA games, including eight and twenty games this year. He was up, you know, briefly with the Cardinals, went zero for seven off the bench, still looking for first big league hit. But I mean, he's hitting .354. He, he's got eight home runs and twenty-one RBIs in twenty games. Yeah, you know, the strikeout to walk ratio is a little skewed at 19 strikeouts and one walk. He needs to tighten that up. But I don't think Tyler O'Neill, from a power standpoint, has anything left to prove in the minor leagues. It's a little unfortunate. You know, the Cardinals just have an outfield logjam, and there's not really an easy play way to get him into the lineup right now. But he, I mean, he's one of the, he's on the short list of the best power hitters anywhere in the minor leagues.
2: And Jonathan, you went a different direction at the AAA level.
3: I did. I, you know Tyler is a very good. Choice uh, and there's a lot to be said. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, J.D. Davis, uh, who's another guy who uh, probably deserves uh, more opportunities uh, in, in the big leagues. And he's been in the big leagues last year and this year. Um, and but minor league wise, he, he's always shown um, some power. He had 26 homers last year between Double A AA and Triple A, think 418. And slugging 6.48 over 23 games with uh, with Fresno Pacific Coast League, good place to hit, um, you know. In a lot of the a lot of the locations, you know, uh, only three homers, which is you know, I guess not a lot for him. Um, keeping strikeouts somewhat to a, a, a minimum for for a guy who's got power. Uh, y- you know, the the main question is where he plays. You know, he played third. He played first. Um, he's played some corner outfield, um, you know, so he can move him around. Again, you know, the, the Astros are pretty stacked at the big league level. So another guy who probably deserves to be playing somewhere just to see how it works regularly at the big league level, but he's, you know, during his time in AAA this year, uh, and it's really his first full season in AAA, uh, he has been swinging as hot a bat as anybody.
2: I'm going to go a different direction, AAA level, just because of the rough spring that it was in the Northeast and, and Midwest areas of the country with the terrible weather. I'm going to give some credit, go over to the International League, and I'm going to go with Kristen Stewart uh, of the Tigers. 314 average, uh, the OPS 998. He's got seven home runs. 21 RBIs and doing it in a terrible spring in Toledo. I'll give him some credit for that, and to throw another name into the mix. So that's Triple A. Uh, on to Double A, Jonathan. You can go first, and uh, I think you're going with somebody who you've spent some time with this week.
3: I I, I did. I uh, just got back from from New Hampshire. And I got to uh, spend some time uh, with Bo and the guy that I picked, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, not really going out on a limb, Uh, and it didn't hurt that he homered twice yesterday. After, in case people didn't see this, uh, I wish I had been shooting the video of this and gotten the Twitter buzz that was created from this, but he was doing a demo with Carlos Pena of MLB Network hitting off a tee from, from home plate at their ballpark in Manchester, New Hampshire, and hit a ball out of the park the opposite way. Just with the regular swing. I mean, he didn't do anything special. It was um, after calling that he was going to do. He's like, "All oh, right, I'm going to try to hit one out here," and he did. So that was just crazy. And then he hit two homers, including one to left center that hit off of the hotel, uh, which, uh, you know, I don't know how often it happens there. It looked like it was a good 460 feet away. I don't know. the The hitting coach told me that before yesterday he had 29 balls. That were 100 miles an hour or more off of his bat. Now I don't know how that stacks up, but um, that's a lot given the amount of games they played and the overall with 398, 453 on base, 673 slugging, uh, and he's, yes, 19 years old. So, Vlad
2: Guerrero Jr., probably going into the season, if you had to pick a, an MVP kind of guy at that level, he would be the guy. Uh, Jim, your choice is quite different. He's a guy who has gotten off to a tremendous start, and I'm not sure we saw this kind of a season coming.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think we saw 383, you know, <laughs> through the first month for Peter Alonso of the Mets. He's not... You know, he's not the number three prospect on the MLB pipeline list like Vladimir Guerrero is, or or number one on the personal Jim Callis list like Vlad Jr. is. But uh, he is one of the best first base prospects in baseball. I think he would have had a little bit more buzz if he hadn't been hurt last year, because he, you know, last year, first full season of pro ball, he was on those those loaded University of Florida teams, and he, you know, he missed you know two months with injuries, and he still hit sixteen homers and got the double-A. Or, I'm sorry, he hit 18 homers, and he got the double-A. So, I think, had he been healthy, he probably would have hit, you know, 25 or 30 homers last year and raised his profile that much more. And, you know, this year he's hit 383 through the first month, eight homers, 23 RBIs in 27 games, almost as many walks as strikeouts. He's, he's walked 19 times this year after walking 27 times all of last year. I would think that when we update our midseason prospects list – He may move up um, the first base list a little bit, and and I want to say not that anybody wants us to dwell on our our, the MLB Pipeline Prospect Fantasy League, but didn't you draft him, Tim? Because I know I was getting ready to draft him as my first baseman, and somebody snaked him a, a pick or two right ahead of me.
2: Yeah, that was me, and I waited on first baseman um, till the very end of the draft. I can't remember what round it was, but uh, I ended up with go- going with Alonzo very late, and he has paid off. As I've made a re- real push this week to catch you, Jim, briefly overtaking you in the standings.
0: Yeah, 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 I know, and it's and I, I wound up with Nick Prado, which I like, but I, I really did like the ability for Peter Alonso maybe to have that power breakout with a fully healthy year. But I apparently was not the only one who felt that way.
2: Yeah, and my hope was that eventually he would find his way to Vegas and really show off the power there. Uh, he's getting it done at Double A, and and once and maybe, that's a hard
0: league to hit
1: in too. Yeah, and then
2: <laughs> maybe at some point, second half of the year, he is in Vegas with the f- ball flies, obviously. Um I could now you're not make me feel worse, Tim. <laughs> I could not find a player to go against either of you guys. So I went with Vlad Guerrero Junior as well. Both those guys are just putting up video game numbers, so Felt it was pointless to try to throw a third guy into the mix, and then I think we're all unanimous at the A level because nobody has put up video game numbers quite like Juan Soto has, right, Jim? I'll let you speak first on on what Soto's done, but he has been remarkable, and he's already gone from from low A to advanced A this season.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who I think was kind of poised for a breakout. You know, his situation—it's not the same kind of tools, but his situation is, I think, very similar to Ronald Acuna, who was at last year's consensus minor league player of the year where Cunha made his full season debut in 2016, but he was hurt, and he didn't get to play a lot, and so he kind of flew relatively under the radar, and Soto was the same thing. He had, you know, I think it was like ankle and hamstring and a, and a hand or a wrist injury last year, and so he didn't get to play much. I think he played 23 games in low Class A, and this year he's healthy, and he's, and he's going off. I mean, I, I, I think the, the last numbers I saw on him, I think these are three yesterday, you know, 384, 489 on base, 821 slugging, leading the minors in extra base hits, total bases, RBIs, and ops, and he's second in homers on base and slugging. So if, if we were doing an overall Minor League Player of the Year award, he, he would be the easy choice right now. I mean, he's a legitimate stud prospect as well. And I, I just wrote prospect team of the week yesterday. With the season's four weeks old, and Juan Soto has been prospect of the we been on the prospect team of the week three times, so he's he's on pace to destroy whatever the single season record is for that as well.
2: <laughs> we'll get the research department on that. Anything to add, Jonathan, about what Juan Soto is doing?
3: I think just you know the fact that uh, you know he earned that promotion so quickly, which is not a huge surprise. I think they just wanted to make sure that what they saw in in, in the South Atlantic League last year in the brief sample was was enough. And he's gone up and hit 396 in 13 games since he's moved up a level. Uh, Ten walks and four strikeouts in 13 games. You know, So you, know, you kind of expect a young guy gets promoted up a level. Maybe he wants to, tries to do a little too much to show he belongs, and uh, and all he's been doing is hitting close to 400 with an on-base of close to 500 while still slugging over 800. Um, that's just Crazy. Uh, And, you know, that's why he was the obvious, uh, you know, uh, contributed to the fact that he was the obvious choice, that he just has uh, arguably been better since his promotion than he was uh, in his time in the South Atlantic League.
0: I mean, this is a guy, you know, the year before in, in 2016, when he was healthy, making his U.S. debut, he won the Gulf Coast League MVP award. And there are scouts, I don't necessarily think, I mean, you're talking about all around tools. Victor Robles in that national system has better all-around tools. But if you're talking offensive ceiling, Juan Soto probably has a higher offensive ceiling than Victor Robles.
2: That is a clear transition into our next topic because Juan Soto is a guy who's certainly on the move when it comes to rankings, and you guys are changing things up a little. It's always been the case with the top 100 prospects list that you come out with it before the season starts and then update it during the season. But between those times... It just kind of stays there, and obviously players come off of it and players are added to it. But other than that, no overall adjustments, which over the course of time, obviously, um, I don't want to say it gets stale, but it gets a little bit dated. So this year, we're going to call it for the good of the podcast, market correction is what you guys are doing. And I know, Jim, you're writing the story on this, and, and Soto is a guy who is easily going to be a, an easy correction, I guess, on the rise uh, here when you update the top 100.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that, that that's gone live. So people can check that out when when this podcast goes live. They can check that out on our site. And you know, we're, we weren't just looking to make change for change's sake or move a guy up one or two spots, but you know, the guys who who, who really needed to move move significantly. And you know, part of this is we we are going to tinker with the top fifteen. That's kind of where we drew the. You know, I think Jonathan, we're going to well, when we do this two or three times during the year, we'll revote on the top fifteen and, and try to keep that fresh. And once said it didn't crack our top 15, but we jumped him all the way up. He was already at number 28. We jumped him up to number 16. Um, you know, he was the guy who moved higher on this list than in anyone. Um, you know, and right behind him, making the, the second biggest move up the list was Jesus Lizardo of the Athletics, who I think we were all kind of excited and looking to see what he was going to do with the Athletics. Kind of turned him loose last year began the year in the Nationals organization, and was coming back for Tommy John surgery was handled carefully. And the athletics really are turning him loose because after three starts, they promote him to double A, and that hasn't phased him either. So it's, it's, I, I like this. It gives us a chance to, to you know, make some, like, tinkering at the top of the list, which is you know, the most visible part of the list that gets the most scrutiny, and also allows us to move guys up and down, you know, 10, 15 spots when a significant move is called for.
2: I was going to say, if players are moving up, other players obviously have to move down the rankings. And when you look at the this uh, update that's just come out, the one that stands out to me is no longer on the rankings, Jonathan. Mickey Moniak, former overall number one pick by the Phillies, was number 85, and now he's... Is he number 100 or is he
3: off the list, as I don't have it in he front is, of him. He is off the off list. Off the list, yes. Um, much to our chagrin, I think. And we were... I think we were the only ones of people who do this kind of thing that still had him on a, on a top 100. I, I might be wrong, but after his first full year, a lot of people kind of jumped off the bandwagon. Um, you know, I wanted to still believe in in his his hit tool and his speed um, and his work ethic, all the things that the Phillies loved when they decided to make him the number one pick in the in the 2016 draft. And the lack of strength has been. Um, you know, has been a concern. And, and this year, the lack of plate discipline I mean two walks and 33 strikeouts, it's kind of a continuation of last year, um, uh, you know, and the problems that he, that he had. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can say, he's hitting a little better so far in May, it's only seven games, but it's, you know, it's, He's hitting two fifty with one extra base hit. I mean it's not like there's anything that's jumping out that says, boy, he's you know starting to drive the ball a little bit more or things that of that nature you know he's only got one stolen base um, it's just not working for him right now uh, you know he's yet to turn twenty uh, so you know when I do the Phillies list, so I'll be keeping a close eye on him anyway uh, but uh, i I was kind of hoping. That he would sort of jump out this year, use last year as uh, as a learning experience, make some adjustments, and hit the ground running, and kind of look like the guy that people were excited about. But we just we haven't seen it from him yet, and uh, there's time yet for him to to show all, you know everybody uh, what he's capable of. Uh, but for now, it made sense uh, for us to sort of correct in that direction with him.
0: And dropping him off the top 100 doesn't necessarily mean that we're totally giving up on him. But, as Jonathan said, it's just kind of alarming because while I'm with Jonathan and, you know, okay, you know, if you told me that he would need some physical development, you know, as he rose through the minors, like, okay, yeah, you know, he wasn't the biggest framed guy and he was a high school kid. That made sense. But, but there were guys who were putting sevens on the 2-8 scouting scale on the bat. And, like, if you told me he wasn't going to hit for much power right away, I could have seen that. But I'm just shocked he hasn't been able to do more with the bat. Um, I'm surprised you given his feel for the game. That hasn't translated into you know, more steals. It's just been really, really surprising. Because I don't think, say what you want, you know, and it's easy to look back now, and some people will ask, you know, why didn't they take Nick Senzel? I mean, there are a lot of people who thought Mickey Moniac was as good as any player in that draft. But I don't think anybody thought he would struggle this much with the bat. And it's just gotten worse. You know, I think he even, you know, you know I want to say I remember reading a spring training story. You know, he's too young to be in the best shape of his life. But I think, you know, it was the <laughs> you know, put on 15 pounds of good muscle, and it's it's just not doing anything. And the, the, the swing, you know, not only is he not hitting, he's just swinging and missing so much. I, I, I'm just baffled as to what happened, you know, from 2016 to 2017. And, and he's even taken a little further step back in
2: 2018. It's it, it shocking. All right. So one more thing I wanted to touch on with you guys uh, comes from the mailbag, Jonathan's mailbag from the last week. And he came out, you were questioned to do this and came out with an all ceiling draft prospect team, which is a kind of a cool way to, to look at the draft. Just basically, if guys all reach that full potential Um, And you went around the horn, basically. So I'll do that first. Um, Catcher, you have Will Banfield, the high schooler from Georgia. Tristan Cassis, high schooler from Florida at first. Uh, Nick Madrigal, of course, we've talked a lot about at Oregon State, the second baseman. Nolan Gorman, a high schooler at third. Bryce Terang uh, from California at shortstop. Then the outfield, you have Connor Scott, Kyler Murray, and Jordan Adams. The rotation, uh, Carter Stewart, Ethan Hankins, Kumar Rocker, Cole Wynn, Matt Libertor. these are all names we've obviously heard a lot about. How much fun was it just kind of going through this in your mind, Jonathan, and not thinking overall um, who's the best guy at each position, but just if these guys are to, to really maximize their talents, who will be the best?
3: It was fun. I mean, and it's, you know, it uh, it makes for good inbox fodder. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, a lot of times if we do like a deeper dive into something, I'll I'll, you know, Talk to a couple of scouting directors and that sort of thing. This was kind of off the top of my head. I ran, I ran names by Jim a little bit, uh, you know, just to make sure I wasn't really missing anybody, uh, because I think the inclination is just to pick every, you know, a high schooler at every single position. Um, Madrigal was the obvious one at second, just, uh, in terms of a college guy. And I will tip my cap to Jim because he point you know, he, he, he suggested Kyler Murray in the outfield and I thought that was a very good choice, given that you know he has split his focus between football and baseball and has ridiculous tools and and that's what this is about it's you know guys with incredible raw tools uh and not necessarily the guys you're sure are going to be big big leaguers at at each position or the best big leaguers at each position um but if everything clicks for these guys, they have the highest feelings you know i thought uh of of anyone. In the draft class. And, the, you know, pitching wise, I feel like I could have listed several other high school guys who are, are really interesting. Um, you know, that's probably to me where the most wiggle room lies.
2: And I know, Jim, you, uh, as Jonathan just said, he talked to you about this before putting the full list together. But if it was your list, uh, there are a few other guys that you would have maybe swapped in.
0: And I thought Jonathan did a good job on this. I mean, it's—I'll admit I, when he when he came to me with the question, I was like actually jealous because, like, it's a—that's that, a great inbox question. If we if we, when I know we won't. But if we did a podcast where we rank like the top five or ten inbox questions we get all year, <laughs> I, I do think that one would be on there. So I was like, I actually thought to myself. You know, damn! I wish somebody had asked me that. I would—that would have been fun to answer. Um, in fact, I, I, I was so so jealous that I'm—I'm I'm just going to let Johnson write this year, this week's inbox while I, I try to get over my envy. But, uh, but uh, right. yet, um you know, guys who I would have considered, you know, And again, I don't know if I necessarily would have. You know, the, the, the Johnsons' guys were good. I mean, outfield. You know, Swaggerty at South Alabama is very toolsy guy. You know, Travis Swaggerty—he's hitting for more power this year. He can really run. He can really play center field. You know. The, you could argue him, perhaps, although Jonathan has three very toolsy outfielders on the list. He was one. I think Jonathan mentioned him in, in, in his story. Yeah, I probably would have found a place to put Shane McClanahan on the top, uh, on the all ceiling team. He's, he's been inconsistent, but when he's good, he's really, really good. I mean, he can hit 100 miles an hour as a lefty. And he can throw a plus changeup his slider can be, you know, overpowering, you know, velocity wise as well. So I, I I probably would have put him on there, maybe ahead of Matt Libertor, who I think does have a good ceiling, but I think of him more as having an exceptional floor. And the two other guys I, I, I would have thought about Cole Wilcox. I actually think Cole Wilcox might have a higher ceiling than either Ethan Hankins or Kumar Rocker in Georgia. They've kind of been shifting positions. Hankins has had, you know, some physical things going on. And Cole Wilcox just crushed Kumar Rocker head-to-head when they faced each other last week. and I had a scout tell me that a lot of dollars fell out of Kumar Rocker's pocket, and they all went in Cole Wilcox's pocket, <laughs> because he was, I, I, and I will debate, you could debate what order you take those guys on, because I think it depends on when you see them, but I do think of those three guys, Cole Wilcox has got the best chance to have three-plus pitches, because he's got a much better breaking ball than Ethan Hankins, and he's got a better change-up then Kumar Rocker, I don't think his delivery is necessarily as good as those guys, if you want to quibble with him, And then the fourth guy, and I would have gone with Bryce Tarang because even though he hasn't necessarily had the spring people hoped, I mean, people speak very glowingly uh, glowingly of him and have in the past, and, and he was even in the number one pick discussion uh, you know, last year right after the draft as a candidate. But a guy who, who I don't think is a locked first-rounder, but is tooled up, is Jeremy Ironman at Missouri State. Now, he's, he's having a rough year. I think he's tried to carry the team a little bit too much. He, he changed his approach, to I think, to cut down on strikeouts, and, and it's hurt his power. But just from a tool standpoint, I mean, this guy has a, a 65 or 70 arm, He has a chance to be, I think, either – I think he can play shortstop at the big league level or be a gold-glove third baseman. He's got, you know, 55 to 60 speed, and he's got all kinds of raw power, too. So there's a huge ceiling in there as well. Um, And, again, I think on all those guys, it's not – you know, you could quibble, I know Jonathan's shocked to hear that I can quibble with something because I never do that. <laughs> but um, I think you know that's what makes this question so fun—is you could talk about it in a lot of different ways. So I, uh, I, I, kudos to you, Jonathan. That was a, that was a home run question, or earlier, you know what it was—that that was that was a a home run. That was a great pitch, and you just crushed it out of the park. I I love that question, as you can tell.
3: I'm going to uh, come up with the top ten rankings of Jim's quibbles. <laughs> Just, uh, there's a lot over. to choose from, so yes, it would be hard it would It would be hard there, you know and there's there's the you know, sort of upside ceiling quibbles, and then there's the you know your safe bet that, that that quibble will turn into a full fledged complaint at some point, so you know you have to kind of weigh you know whether you want to go with upside potential or, or not with with those
2: the simmering quibbles. All right, I like the idea maybe sometime doing a mailbag podcast as well, stuff that you haven't answered uh, on the mailbag on the site. We could just do stuff in here as well. But uh, that's something for another day. For this day, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline podcast. We want to thank Casey Mize for joining us, the number one overall player right now in the top 100 draft prospects list. He was great. Uh, For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.